Hello, everyone, and welcome to the thrilling adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is episode 77. This time out, we'll be looking at the 15th storyline from the Superman radio serial. I try to stay a little bit ahead on my recording of the show, in in case I get busy and can't get an episode done in a full week for whatever reason, so pardon me for bringing this up again when I really should have mentioned it last episode, but I want to thank everyone for the kind words they offered and the congratulations on the show hitting the 75th episode. Charlie Niemeyer and Michael Kaiser and Billy Hogan all left words on the Facebook page saying congratulations and that they really enjoyed the interview with Mark Tyler Nobleman. And I heard other comments from people as well, you know, via email or uh, private message or, or what have you. I didn't really plan to have the interview for the 75th episode. I mean, once we lined things up, I, I intentionally set it for that episode because it was it was kind of a neat milestone. But I didn't set out saying, oh, episode 75, I have to have something special. I, I planned to have Mark on and it just all kind of came together nicely when we were able to get together to, to talk. But anyway, thanks to all those who have offered their congratulations. I've had a lot of fun, and I'm glad that people have been entertained over the last 75 episodes, or 76 at this point, I guess. And I really hope I can keep having fun and keep entertaining for the next 75, or maybe even the next 100. I guess we'll just have to see. But anyway, we are going to take a quick break, as we normally do, And then we'll come back and talk about Superman on the radio. The funeral is over. Jonathan Kent is on the mend. So, uh, how's Clark's father? Oh, much, much better. Lois has returned home. Lois, over here. Harry, what? Since when did you start meeting your staff at the airport? How'd you know I was returning on that flight? A good editor checks out his answers, Lois. I got a hot story of one to one straight away. I'm parked over here. But just as Metropolis has learned to live without the Man of Steel... I know, there was only one Superman, but Metropolis just hit the jackpot. Because we got four Supermen now, and nobody knows which of them, if any, is the real McCoy. Four beings of incredible power and intellect have laid claim to the Man of Steel's name. The last son of Krypton. I live. The Man of Steel. Man of Steel coming through! Nobody move! This is a bust! The Cyborg. Yes, I'm Superman. I'm back. The Boy of Steel. Put me down! Listen, pal, don't ever call me Superboy. Capiche? The reign of the Superman is upon us. And so, from crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast begins its epic coverage of this last act in the epic Death and Return of Superman saga. Every week, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor 
along with the best and the brightest in the podcasting community, will cover this event in all of its forms, from the comics, to the novelizations, to the audio drama, and beyond. Superman is back, but is any of them the real Man of Steel? Find out on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, located at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The 15th storyline from the Superman radio show was episodes 79 through 84, and it aired August 12th to August 23rd, 1940. As I mentioned last episode, Action Comics number 29 likely came out just as this storyline was winding down, and the newspaper daily storyline that we'll be looking at next episode was also coming to a close. And meanwhile, the Sundays were still doing their thing, with a rather lengthy episode or lengthy storyline that will be tackled down the road. We are in a time of some change for the radio show. Storylines from here on out are going to vary in length from one to the next. Uh, as I've talked about, there's a new member of the writing team. Joan Alexander has been fired, and Lois Lane won't appear for just shy of two months as these originally aired. But moreover, the setup of the show is getting a slight and temporary tweak, as we're going to see a few storylines with Clark and Jimmy, or just Clark, as is the case with this story, gallivanting around the country and the globe for their adventures. I've seen this described as more of a Terry and the Pirates feel to the show. Um, Terry and the Pirates is, of course, a newspaper strip by Milton Kniff. It did have a radio show, but that was canceled right around the time that Superman got his show, and it was it was later revived around the end of 1941, but obviously wasn't airing at this point. But really, these are only the beginnings of some exciting new things and additions for the show. Over the next year's worth of episodes, there's going to be new characters, there's going to be a change in the tone as they start to take on a slightly more kind of a classic comic book feel. Um, not to discount the comics or the newspaper strips, because there's a, l- a lot of great stuff ahead there too, but the back half of 1940 and into 1941 brings some really neat stuff for the radio show. So definitely buckle in and stay tuned. Our story this time out, though, like I said, was six episodes and has been called The Mayan Treasure. For some time, Editor Perry White of the Daily Planet has been promising Clark Kent a vacation. So when Major Evans Dover, noted explorer and archaeologist, invited the young reporter to accompany him on an expedition to uncover further Mayan ruins in Central America, Editor White told Kent to go along and to consider the trip as a holiday. As our story opens today, Major Dover and Kent are flying southward in a big amphibian plane piloted by Jack Corboy, Dover's pilot. Below them, a wild river winds its way through the dense jungle of Central America. Listen As the plane flies over Central America, the pilot tells Dover that they are about five minutes away from their destination. Dover tells Clark about previous expeditions to the area, and Corboy chimes in, talking about how he doesn't trust the natives. Uh, 
Dover explains that their Mayan ancestors had developed a technologically advanced civilization, but that their modern-day descendants have forgotten most of that and often turn vicious. In fact, they used to be headhunters, but have toned down some since more explorers started coming to the area. Some of the natives have even learned a form of broken English, allowing them to communicate, and they're okay with explorers as long as they stay away from the sacred temples. Apparently, on Dover's last trip, though, they had some trouble with Kamado, the tribe's high priest. So this time, Dover had brought along a gift of needles, brightly colored cloth, and tobacco in hopes of smoothing things over. Dover assures Clark that they won't have any trouble, but have prepared to make a quick exit just in case. As they approach the village, they plan to meet with the priest first, then set up camp and take Clark to the ruins for a look around. Sometime later, at sunset, Clark and Dover make, make along a narrow path winding through the thick jungle on their way to the ruins. Apparently the meeting with the priest didn't go so well, and Dover warns Clark that they'll have to watch out for him. They soon arrive at the ruins, and Clark is amazed by their sheer size. Hidden amongst the ruins are other buildings that have been perfectly preserved, including the huge Temple of Warriors, which was built atop a large pyramid. Dover starts to inspect some of the carvings on the temple, when a boulder falls from above. Clark pushes him out of the way, but unfortunately shoves him too hard, causing him to hit his head against the temple and get knocked out. Clark tells himself that the boulder didn't fall by accident, when another starts to fall, narrowly missing him. Changing to Superman, he leaps into the sky to investigate, and from the air, sees a native attempting to push a third boulder onto Dover. Diving down, the Man of Steel grabs the native and proceeds with some Superman-style persuasion to make him talk. The native, scared out of his wits, says the High Priest ordered him to kill Dover because Dover wanted to take the goddess Ashta away from the tribe. Before he can say more, though, he's hit with a poison dart, which kills him instantly. Superman is about to go after the dart blower when he hears Dover calling out for Clark. Heading down the other side of the temple, he changes back to Clark, rejoins Dover, and explains all what happened. Clark then asks who the goddess Ashta is, and while Dover is at first hesitant to talk, he eventually reveals that the real reason he invited Clark along was that he needed someone to help him in obtaining the most amazing wonders of the modern world. Clark wants more information, but Dover tells him he'll say more once they're back at camp and away from the dangerous ruins. But he says... They will be world famous if they succeed in their dangerous gamble. And if they don't succeed, only death awaits. When our next episode begins, Dover and Clark have just returned to camp. Corboy approaches, saying that a native boy had delivered a message that Chief Tasso wants to see them. Dover says that that will have to wait, though, and begins to tell the story he promised. He says that Ashta is the ruling deity of the tribe. She was one of the last of the ancient Mayan princesses, and had ruled the city centuries ago. When she died, her body was placed in one of the temples, the exact location of which is an ancient secret, and worshipped as a god. However, instead of Ashta being a dried-up mummy, her body has remained in a state of perfect preservation, making her look like a woman who is merely asleep. Before he can say more, Corboy spots something crawling through the tall grass behind them. Assuming it's a native spy, he shoots and hits his target. Dover chastises Corboy for shooting before investigating, saying that it will put them in a tough spot. They go to check it out and realize that it was just a huge owl. Clark starts to joke about how 
it was only an owl that he killed, because we haven't had enough animal hate from Superman lately. But Dover chastises him, saying that the natives worship owls as sacred guardians of the dead. Killing one is almost as bad as killing a priest. Dover hides the owl behind a bush, hoping the natives won't find it, and then continues his story. He says he was told about Ashta by a fellow explorer named Mitchell, who had learned from a native. Mitchell planned on looking for the mummy, but suddenly became sick and died about eight months ago. Dover never found out if Mitchell knew the true location, but says Mitchell repeated the word crocodile several times before he died. Corboy says that looking for the mummy is dangerous, but Dover swears that with Clark's help, they'll find it. And when they do, it'll make them rich and famous. Dover then heads out to see what the chief wants, telling Clark to wait at camp and Corboy to go back to the plane. Three hours later, Dover still hasn't returned. Corboy runs into the camp and awakens the clerk, telling him Chief Tasso showed up at the plane looking for Dover because he never arrived at the native's village. Clark thinks Dover might have changed his mind about going to see the chief and went to scout out the ruins again. Clark thinks Dover might have changed his mind about going to see the chief and went to scout out the ruins again. But suddenly a native appears and says Kamado had abducted Dover and was holding him down deep before disappearing again back into the darkness. Clark thinks down deep must mean within the bowels of the temples, and tells Corboy to go back to the guard the plane while he follows a hunch. Corboy is reluctant to let the inexperienced Clark go alone, but, but Clark assures him, saying he'll be okay. After Corboy leaves, Clark changes to Superman and takes to the skies, rocketing to the Temple of Warriors and the other ruins. Using his x-ray vision, he spots Dover in the dungeon under the temple, and then dives down, forces open the stone doors of the temple, and flies down a corridor. As Superman approaches the dungeon, the natives who are guarding it flee in terror. Superman rips off the iron door, changes back to Clark, and revives the unconscious Dover. He starts to help him out of the temple, but they are halted by the sound of angry natives surrounding the temple. They think they are trapped when a secret stone door and a shadowy figure... They think they are trapped when a secret stone door opens and a shadowy figure from inside beckons them to come. Dover is unsure, but Clark insists, saying they have no other choice. Clark tries to convince Dover to enter the passage when they hear a voice encouraging them on. Finally going through the door and escaping the advancing natives, the figure leads them down a tunnel and introduces himself as Albert Andrew Wellington Finson, or Bert for short. He hails from England, but for the past 11 years has served as High Councilman to Chief Tasso. Dover thinks it's a trick, as he never saw or heard of the guy on previous expeditions, but Bert says he stayed out of sight then. It seems Bert is a deserter from His Majesty's Navy, so he stays hidden when visitors are around. As they hurry down the tunnel, hoping to beat the natives out of the temple, Bert says he saved them so that they would join forces with himself and Tasso against Kamado. When they get to the end of the tunnel, Bert hears a native hooting like an owl as a signal to the others. He then makes his own hoot back to trick them before knocking out the guards at the end of the tunnel. As more natives come, the three men try to fight through the horde. And after Bert and Dover are knocked out, Clark steps up his game, and Superman easily dispatches the army of natives. Seeing Bert and Dover are still unconscious, Superman picks them up and flies back to Bert's house. After dressing their wounds and placing them on sleeping mats, Clark settles in to get some rest as well. The next evening, Clark dismisses questions about how they slipped away from the mob, saying that they just got lucky. 
Continuing with his explanation from the night before, Bert says Tasso and Kamado have been in a struggle for years, and Tasso wants to take him down. Not kill him, just see to it that he doesn't have the power that he does now. Bert says two years ago, Kamado performed a miracle, in that he was able to seemingly raise the goddess Ashta and bring her back to life. And ever since, people have followed Kamado. Clark is skeptical, but Bert says he would be too if he hadn't seen the miracle for himself. He then leaves to get Tasso to verify his story. While alone, Dover says they need to find out from Bert where Ashta's body is, but not raise suspicions about what they're truly after. Bert soon returns, saying he couldn't find Tasso, and Dover asks where the temple is, saying that he'd never heard of it on previous trips. Bert says it's a big secret, and being Tasso's right-hand man, he's probably the only white man that's ever been there or even known about it. Dover says he'd sure like to see it, and Bert says that that can be arranged because what Tasso wants is help in solving the mystery of Ashta's alleged resurrection. And to do that, they need to be inside the temple. He says the temple is located on an island in the center of a lake hidden in the middle of the jungle. No one can find it without a guide, and even if they did, they couldn't get across the lake because it's filled with man-eating crocodiles. The natives get to the temple via a road that can only be accessed when the lake is half-drained, and no one but Kamado and his assistant know how to drain the lake. Bert says figuring out how to get to the temple is a dangerous job, and he says he can't do it alone, but with Clark and Dover's help, he's sure it can be done. The men agree to help, and Bert says if they can help him, Tasso will let them help themselves to Kamado's treasure chests. Suddenly, gunshots ring out, and Dover recognizes it as Corboy's gun. Looking outside, they see the skies have turned red, and what looks to be fire is coming from the area where the plane is. They fear Corboy has come under attack, and worry that if the plane is lost, then they'll be stranded in the jungle forever. Bert, Clark, and Dover run towards the river where the plane is moored. Clark tells Bert and Dover to run on ahead, and he'll try to get some help from the natives. But once they're out of sight, Clark changes to Superman, and leaps into the sky and speeds to the scene. Upon arrival, he sees the plane isn't on fire, but surrounded by a circle of flames. He figures Corboy must have set the fire to keep the natives away, and then sees Corboy unconscious on the wing of the plane. Diving through the flames, he's able to grab Corboy and carry him into the cabin of the plane, hoping to move it before the flames get to it. Plans change, though, when Corboy starts to come to, and Superman has to change back to Clark. Corboy is unable to pilot the plane because he's twisted his arm, so Clark starts up the engine intent on flying them out. With Corboy's help, Clark is able to fly the plane through a break in the flames and get the plane to safety. Clark says they'll fly around until the flames die down and asks why the natives attacked, but Corboy isn't sure. He says he was doing some exploring in the jungle and came to a clearing where he saw the wreckage of an airplane. He started to look it over when the natives attacked. Corboy hurried back to the plane and, when he saw a second group of natives, lit the fire but was then knocked out by a spear thrown by one of the natives. Clark thinks the whole situation is very strange and wants to get a look at the wrecked plane. Down on the ground, they see Dover with Chief Tasso, and Tasso is making signs to natives in a canoe out on the water. Corboy opts to stay in the plane, and Clark meets up with Dover and Bert, who had ran into Tasso and his men while running towards the plane. He fills them in on what happened and asks if any of them know about the wrecked plane in the jungle. Bert and Tasso say it crashed a couple years ago, 
but they never found a pilot and assumed that he parachuted out and died. Clark wonders why Kamado's men would be so protective of it, but they have no answer for that. Changing the subject, Bert says they have something more important to discuss, because they're all going to the Temple of Ashta tomorrow night. There's going to be a conclave of the tribal leaders, including Tasso and his men, so the road will be drained and allow Clark and Dover to pass over as well. Bert starts to explain how they'll get past the guards when Dover spots Kamado walking towards them on the path from the village. Bert tells Dover and Clark to go back to camp, and he'll talk to them the next day. The following night, Dover, Kent, Tasso, and Bert are gathered in the jungle on the edge of the clearing by the Temple of Ashta. Bert says he'll walk towards the temple, and when they get partway across, Tasso will follow. When Tasso reaches the guard, he'll knock him out, which will allow Dover and Clark to rush across. The plan is put in motion, but soon Clark thinks things are going too smoothly. He tells Dover to go on ahead when Tasso knocks out the guard, and he's going to go check on a hunch. After a bit of encouragement, Dover goes on, telling Tasso that Clark hurt himself and said for the rest of them to go on with the plan. By this time, Bert has already made it into the temple, and Tasso and Dover start to go on. But just then, Dover sees the water around them is rising. Fearing they've been double-crossed and Kamado has them trapped, Dover cries out for Clark to help them. When our next episode begins, some time has been passed, as we've actually gone back in time a few minutes. Clark has changed to Superman and watches as Dover begins to cross the lake to meet Tasso. He soars into the air to get, and goes to check out the wrecked plane that Corboy said he had seen. After landing near the wreckage, he lifts up the wing, finally seeing some identifying marks, and realizes that it is the plane that he suspected. He then leaps back into the air to check on something else. He soon arrives back at the village and enters one of the huts. After tangling with a guard, he demands the native give him the key to a chest in the corner. When the native refuses, Superman breaks open the chest and discovers a flying helmet, goggles, and gloves. He starts to look around for something else, but stops when his superhearing picks up Dover's frantic cries for help. Knowing Dover and Tasso are in trouble, Superman speeds back to the lake and sees the water and crocodiles pushing in on them. With his x-ray vision, he also sees a native inside the Temple of Ashta working a lever. Smashing through the temple wall, Superman grabs the native and throws him violently across the room possibly snapping his neck in the process, and then reverses the lever, causing the waters to recede. Once Dover and Tasso are safely on their way again, Superman makes a quick exit and soon emerges back on the other side as Clark, before running to catch up to them. He tells them that he thought he heard some natives behind them in the clearing and wanted to investigate, and then asks why they were calling for help. Dover tells him what happened, and the three soon continue onto the temple to look for Bert. For added security, Tasso leads them to a secret entrance so that they can avoid the guards. As they near the entrance to the temple, Bert approaches and confirms that Kamado is inside, but that he's unaware that Dover and Clark are with them. Bert then leads them down a winding corridor on the way to the inner temple where Ashta is kept. Suddenly, the sound of a rock slide thunders through the tunnel, cutting off their path. As they try to find Bert, who they think might have been buried alive, another slide is let loose behind them, trapping them in the tunnel. With no way out, Clark says they need to start digging their way free. He tells Tasso and Dover to look at the slide behind them, and he'll go on ahead and look at the one in front of them. Once around the corner, he pulls out his Superman muscles and begins tearing through the rocks, all the while knowing both cave-ins couldn't have been accidental. 
After breaking free and opening, he calls back to Tasso and Dover, and the men crawl through the hole, only to be greeted by Bert. Bert says he only narrowly missed being buried by the slide, and then Tasso points out they've come to the end of the tunnel. Bert leads them into the inner temple, which is filled with gold, silver, jewels, and riches beyond belief. He tells them Kamado and the Conclave are meeting in the room right above them, and he and Tasso will join them soon. Tasso then pulls back a curtain, revealing the body of Ashta, and as Dover and Kent stare in amazement at her beauty, the figure opens her eyes. Bert starts to leave, saying he'll be right back, and Clark begins to say something about Ashta not being a mummy. But suddenly, the floor below them caves in, taking Tasso, Dover, and Clark with it. A few minutes later, in the next room, Kamado is quickly trying to fill chests with treasure. The room's door creaks open, and in walks Bert, telling Kamado he can remove his headdress and costume now, because Clark and Dover are done for. Kamado and Bert plan on loading up as much of the treasure as they can, doing away with Corboy and escaping in Dover's plane. Kamado asks about Ashta, and Bert says they'll leave her on the island. The natives will think that their goddess has come to life and treat her like royalty. But Kamado wants to bring her along to be his bride. The argument gets heated, and the two men soon come to blows, with Bert eventually knocking Kamado out. Bert begins loading up the treasure himself, but Superman busts through the door. Bert swings, but the punch has no effect. The Man of Steel then grabs Bert, intent on taking him before the natives. Bert struggles, but eventually gives up when he sees it's pointless. Superman reveals he discovered the plane bore a white rose insignia, meaning it belonged to the lost explorer Betty Chase. Bert confesses that for the past two years, they've pawned Betty off as the goddess Ashta by keeping her in a state of suspended animation via some herbs that Kamado had. He also reveals that Kamado is actually an escaped convict from New Guinea. Bert had fished him out of the river six years ago, and together they killed the real high priest and took his place. When they found Betty's plane, they hatched their plan in order to fool the natives and steal the treasure. Burton says that he may be caught, but he'll have the last laugh because the natives will never let them live once they find out that he's desecrated their sacred temples. Somehow escaping Superman's grasp, Bert runs, but ends up falling on his own knife, killing himself. Before Superman can mourn the loss, though, he hears Betty's screams from the next room. Changing back to Clark, he cuts her off before she can leave the temple. With no time to explain, Clark tells Betty she'll just have to trust him, and as they're about to leave, Dover also comes too. Clark quickly fills him in, even though he said he didn't have time to fill in Betty, and Dover tells him the natives have surrounded the temple. Tasso is trying to calm them down, but isn't having any luck. Clark tells Dover to take Betty to the top of the temple and wait for him. He then changes to Superman and flies at super speed back to the plane. After climbing aboard as Clark, the pilot navigates the plane back up the river, while Clark drops two rope ladders down, allowing Betty and Dover to board the plane as well. Despite the harrowing danger, everyone is able to get aboard the plane safely, and as the plane travels en route back home, Clark begins to tell Betty the details of the entire thrilling adventure. Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Batgirl to Oracle is a podcast and site dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the Batgirl mantle for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1985. 
The goal of BTO is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continue on through her current tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at vintage issues of Detective Comics and Batman and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I examine Barbara Gordon's appearances in the media, such as TV, film, etc. I've been blessed to be able to interview writer Brian Q. Miller, and I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Please visit us online at batgirltooracle.net and look for us on iTunes. Thank you. Just as a heads up, the sound quality on this set of episodes, uh, particularly the first three or four, is really degraded. I tried my best to clean up the clips, but there's only so much that can be done, uh, especially with the software that I have, which is pretty much all free software. Uh, But to get into the notes, episode 79, in the opening narration, it talks about how, for some time, Perry has been promising Clark a vacation. Now, last storyline, the subject of Clark's vacation was brought up, and Clark used it to go visit Jimmy at Lighthouse Point. So, apparently, Clark gets a lot of vacation. Or it is possible they didn't consider that a vacation since he ended up working. Uh, but, But it is funny, though, that Perry tells him to go with Dover to get a story, but consider it a vacation. So, maybe all of Clark's quote unquote vacations are working vacations. What's most interesting, though, is that the subject of Clark deserving a vacation actually goes back to the Hans Holbein arc, at the end of which Perry told Clark he deserved a vacation for all the work he did in that, you know, escapade. So, kudos to the writer for carrying that very minor plot thread forward, if they did it intentionally, that is. Um, this, This episode, there was a lot of exposition and explanation and setup for this storyline, but it really didn't feel burdensome. I think they've gotten gradually better at smoothly laying out what you need to know in a way that isn't just a tedious info dump. And I think a lot of that has to do with character. Uh, As I've said before, they they do a real good job with the one-and-done characters that make them unique and to contrast well with the regular characters. For instance, in this arc, Corboy and Dover both have very distinct personalities that really shine out in this episode, even though we really don't see Corboy much for the rest of the storyline, but their personalities contrast well with Clark. And on a kind of related note, I really like how Clark comes off very friendly in the radio show. He just really seems like a guy that you wouldn't mind hanging out with and, and, and talking to. A lot of that is Bud Collier's portrayal, but still, some of it is in the writing too, and we just really haven't quite gotten that in the Siegel-written stories, where he's... Really, when we see Clark interacting with other people, he is very much that, you know, nebbish milksop that, you know, is kind of the cliché with Clark Kent. But the Clark Kent of the radio is just different than the Clark Kent of the comics. I don't want to say it's a great deal different. I mean, both still feel like Clark Kent to me. Of course, I'm looking at it from, you know, 75 years of history, but they're just different approaches to the character. And it makes me wonder what readers and listeners at the time thought, or 
if, if they even noticed the differences. Um, after they land in the, uh, the jungle, and they're walking through the jungle towards the ruins, at one point, Clark trips on a vine, or, or a giant tree root. Not much else to say about it right now, but keep that in mind when we get to next episode. And then when they finally get to the ruins, the boulders start raining down, and Clark pushes Dover out of the way, but he pushes him too hard, which causes him to get knocked unconscious. Conveniently, just in time for Superman to do his thing. Major Dover! Look out! Dover! Major Dover! Oh, he's out. Completely out. I guess I shoved him too hard. He must have hit his head against the temple. But that huge stone didn't fall by accident. And there's another! Oh, there must be somebody on top of this temple who's deliberately trying to kill us. I think it's time Superman took a hand. Dover will be unconscious long enough for me to investigate at the top of the temple. Up! Up! And away! Now, Superman just flies off. Never mind the guy that he just shoved into a temple could have a concussion. But we've had a few of these scenes and a few storylines. The last one I can think of being during the Happy Land Amusement Park storyline, where Superman smacked the guy around too hard and he passed out. Now, obviously, this one was more to get Dover out of the way so that Superman could take flight. But as I think I mentioned in the Happy Land episode... It also shows Superman as a slightly more human character. You know, he doesn't have... He doesn't always do everything completely right. And he doesn't always have every answer exactly when they need it. But they're also not making him into a complete, you know, idiot or a buffoon when they do that. And I really wonder if the writers were thinking along those lines when they were writing, or if the only intention was to get Dover or whatever character was in the scene at the time out of the way. Uh, Episode 80, kind of along that same theme, I mentioned a second ago about Clark tripping over the tree limb. Well, near the beginning of this episode, Dover is getting ready to tell his story, and Clark reaches around for a a log to sit on. But Dover and Corboy stop him because he nearly grabs a tarantula. I've got something important to tell you two. The way you say that, I smell trouble. Let's sit down here in front of my tent. I'm going to tell you the most astounding thing you ever heard. Wait till I pull this log around so we can sit on it. Look out, Captain. Right, look. What's the matter? What's the log, man? There was a tarantula as big as a silver dollar right on the end of that log where you were going to grab it. Oh. I forgot to warn you about that sort of thing, Kent. In the jungle, you have to examine everything very carefully before you touch it. Yes, I see that now. Thanks a lot, cowboy. I'll get it. Now, listen, you two. Again, and even really more than knocking Dover out, because I can't think of a, another motive for, for these kinds of scenes other than to show him not being perfect... The radio show hasn't portrayed Superman portraying Clark as a bumbler, and they never point out that, you know, Clark is doing any of these things on purpose. So I can't help but think it's that. I don't know. I, I do like these little scenes, though. I mean, they, they just help make the character feel more authentic to me. But shortly after, Dover reveals his plan to find the mummified body of Ashta and, quote, take it back to civilization, unquote, so that it will make them rich and famous. And right there, once again, Clark should have pointed out that, you know, plundering an ancient civilization is wrong. And and stealing something that the that an ancient tribe of former headhunter natives hold sacred is not a wise idea at all. 
we've had this issue more than once, and it's just a golden age thing, I know, but it really, really bugs me. And it, it's just—it's made all the worse by the fact that Clark enthusiastically goes along with it. Unlike the Emerald of the Inca storyline, where he was... It was a situation where it had already happened, and then the Incas attacked, so he had to kind of find some kind of happy medium. But here, he's a willing participant in the looting, which is not at all a good thing for our champion of truth and justice. Um, I noticed a couple times throughout this set of episodes, and, and this, this particular episode was the first, but Superman referred to his supervision or his superhearing. I didn't have time to go back and, and check, but I think that might be the first time that they've actually referred to his powers as super whatever in the radio. They've certainly done it in the Siegel written stories, but I'm not sure about here. If this isn't the first, it certainly isn't commonplace, and uh, you know they, they really seem to be emphasizing it here. Episode 81... At the beginning of this episode, Clark and Dover are saved by Bert, and we get our introduction to him. We've got to take a chance on that secret door, Major. We're doomed if we don't. Come on. I mean, you look the literary, too. Who's that, Kent? It's me, and I'm trying to help you. Quick, now. It's someone friendly. Come on, Major. Right. Be there for some narrow squeeze, mates. Another half minute, and they'd have had you both, they would. Who are you? Where did you come from? Shut your head until we get going. Mind your step now, and follow me. Where are you taking us? Taking me up in the village, I hopes. We'll be all right as long as we're in this blooming secret tunnel. But we'll have to look sharp when we leave it. Yeah. You wanted to know who I am and where I comes from, eh? That's right. Well, my name's Albert Andrew Wennington Clemson, called Bert. And I hails from merry old England, I does. What are you doing down here in the jungle? I'm most high counsellor to his majesty, Chief Tasso. How'd <laughs> you like that one? Counselor to Tasso? Since when? Eleven years, maybe. Wait a minute, Kent. I knew this was a trick. A trick? Yes, this man's lying. If he'd been down here eleven years, I would have seen him or known about him when I was here before. Oh, no, you wouldn't, me, Arthur. When you was digging among the ruins of four, I kept out of sight, me at next to the chiefs. Why? Because I'm a deserter from his majesty's navy. I keeps undercover when there's strangers about. Oh. Is that easier, mind, Major Dover? Why, well, he even knows your name, Major. <laughs> Blooming well right, I does. Come on, lads. You've got to hurry if they're going to beat Kimardo and his band of cutthroats to the exit of this tunnel. How did you know they're in the dungeon? It's old Birdie's business to know everything what goes on around the village and the ruins. Else how could I counsel his highness, the chief? Did you know Kimardo tried to kill us before? <laughs> of course I did. So I says to myself, I says, says I, if you want them blokes to help you, Bertie, you'd better off to it. So here I am, and here you are, and away we go. Help you? In what way? Chief Tesso needs the help. I liked Bert a lot. It's disappointing that he ended up being evil and ultimately dead at the end of the story because he could have been a, uh, a really fun character. The question, though, and since we've been through the whole story, I can ask this without spoiling anything is why did Bert save them? I mean, why talk them into this whole plan of trying to oust Kamado from power? If he was in league with Kamado from the, from the beginning, wouldn't letting them be killed by Kamado's man been a whole lot simpler than all the rigmarole they went through over the next four episodes? I guess it could be explained that Tasso told him to rescue them, since being a member of Tasso's council does seem to be true, but... 
it would have been just as easy to, you know, accidentally be too late to save them and then the problem solved. I know why they couldn't kill him off from a storytelling perspective, you know, because Superman is the star of the show, but it doesn't make any sense from the character's perspective, and I, I wish they would have addressed that somehow. And I'm also not sure, at the end of the episode, how Dover knew the shots were coming from Corboy's gun. They were some distance away, and inside a building at that point as well. I mean, guns aren't that dissimilar in sound when they're fired that you'd be able to ID one just from the sound of the shot. So that was very strange. One of the many strange things in this episode. Or the storyline, sorry. Uh, Episode 82, I found it odd that Clark told Corboy he needed help flying the plane. We've seen at least twice that Clark can fly a plane. So that's a, a... fairly, I guess, minor continuity issue, you know, whatever continuity meant in 1940. I guess it could be explained that it was a different type of plane. They do uh, specify that this was a a seaplane rather than a a normal airplane, but I doubt the writers were even thinking that, and I don't know that there is too much difference in the actual flying part between a seaplane and a a regular, you know, single-engine plane. Um... Not much else really to say about this particular episode, because the majority of it is just set up for luring Clark and Dover into the temple, which, as I said, makes no sense. The announcer does make a mistake at the end of the episode, though. Tasso and Dover have started making their way across the lake, and Clark has run off to, as we find out next episode, go check on the plane wreckage. Um, But the water is rising, and the announcer says... Kent and Chief Tasso are trapped in the middle of the Lake of the Crocodiles that surrounds the temple of the goddess Ashta. Slowly but surely, the water is rising, and the ugly black snouts of the man-eating monsters push through the water toward the narrow road, which will be covered before Dover Which and Tasso clearly should have been Dover and Chief Tasso, since Clark wasn't there. Uh, but the, he does mention Clark and what he's doing later on in the announcing part. So, you know, it's just a simple misspeak on the announcer's part. And these things happen, I guess. I'm just surprised that they've been happening so frequently, especially in this era when the show is transcribed and not live, because you'd think they could just go back and re-record that portion. But, like I said, I don't know much about the production, so maybe it was just very much get it done and get it out, you know, especially since these were for kids and not very high budget. Episode 83, I did like how this episode actually went back in time to show us what Superman was doing as Dover and Tasso were making their way across the lake. It was a, I guess you could call it a bait and switch with the cliffhanger, but in a good way because they actually do end up coming back to the cliffhanger later on in the episode. And it was a much smarter way to do it without having to explain why Superman was able to do all this stuff and still get back in time to save them in the time span of just seconds or or minutes. On the other hand, what gave Superman a hunch that the crashed plane belonged to a missing aviator? I mean, that came completely out of nowhere. Not only is it deceitful to the listeners, but the characters themselves are coming up with information that they shouldn't rightfully have, which is doubly bad. And I'm not sure how he knew to go to that specific hut to to find the aviator goggles and and all that to confirm his suspicions. I, it, 
they don't even say what hut it is. I mean, we assume it's uh, Kamado's hut, I guess, in the looking at the whole story as a as one big narrative. But he just goes there. They don't explain whose house it is or how he knew to go there. And earlier too, when after he saved Dover and Bert, this was several episodes ago. But after he saved them, he just went right to Bert's house and makes himself at home. I mean, Bert never said, this is where I live, and Clark has certainly never been there because he had just met Bert. So how he knew where all these places are is just never explained. Episode 84, despite my complaints um, about Bert, you know, making making him the villain and all that, I do give them credit in this episode for making him being stand-up enough to not want Ashta, or Betty Chase, as she's revealed to be, to die. He was really only after the jewels and was content enough to revive her and let her live out her days being worshipped as a queen, even to the point where he actually fought with Kamado over it. Unfortunately, he dies, falling on his own knife, and of course, as soon as he saw Superman and didn't fall unconscious, we knew he was dead man walking, but uh, the flashback in this episode was completely pointless. Bert explains the whole history of things to Superman, and then we get a flashback where we hear it. The story itself didn't suffer from pacing issues that other storylines have, but that part did feel like filler. Uh, my final note for this for this episode, ending on sort of a high note, I did like the rescue of Dover and Betty from the temple, even though it could have been more dynamically narrated, as would be fitting for an audio presentation. But if you are imaginative enough to visualize it happening, it's it's a very exciting scene as the plane flies in and Clark lowers down the rope ladders for the last-minute save. And oddly, it's not Superman doing the last-minute save. I mean, Clark is there in the plane and, and lowering the ladders, but it's not, you know, cape and tight Superman swooping in to save the people at the last minute. So that's kind of a different uh, a different ending as well. Overall... I liked the idea behind the storyline. I certainly don't mind the fanciful and uh, comic booky elements being added, provided they're used well, which, for what they were, they pretty much were in this storyline. But this story just it just had a lot of problems. I mean, the biggest being Clark's exuberance over stealing the tribe's valued possessions and the, the giant plot hole as to why Burton Kamado just didn't kill Clark and Dover outright. And there were more things I didn't address either, or, or two. Corboy tells Clark that the natives attacked, the, attacked him when he approached what ended up being Betty's plane wreckage. That's never explained why they did that. I mean, why, why hold the wreckage so sacred? Another issue is that Kamado was never dealt with. He and Bert fight, and from what I took from it, Kamado's only knocked out. So even though Bert is dead, Kamado is still potentially a threat to the tribe. And there's no ramifications for killing the real Kamado. There, there are just a lot of problems with this set of episodes. Even though I did like the more comic booky elements, and I thought it was, you know, a fairly, uh, fairly decent story, there were just a lot of problems with it. But still, it was an interesting premise, and it was uh, fairly structurally solid. Like I said, it had none of the odd pacing issues that other stories have suffered from. Uh, the more fanciful elements like native tribesmen and booby trap temples and such provided a kind of a fun diversion from the standard crooks and gangsters and racketeers. 
Dover and Corboy were, were distinguishable. As I said, I really liked Bert until he, I guess, pretty predictably turned evil. So there were definitely good parts, but the whole story was just a pretty big letdown, unfortunately. Hopefully, future stories that carry on with this similar tone and the, the fantasy adventure plots will smooth over these types of issues. If you're interested in hearing them, they've never been released officially, but like all the episodes of the radio show, are available at a wide variety of places across the internet. And the story was also not adapted in radio and television mirror. So if you want to enjoy it, you just need to pick up the episodes. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend the pages of a 10-cent pulp comic book, to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.libson.com. Every legend has a beginning. All right, well, thanks everybody for joining me. Next episode, we will be returning to the newspaper for the very first time in a number of episodes for a look at the 16th storyline from the Daily Strip. So I hope you'll come back. In the meantime, please stop by the website at greatcrypton.com for show notes and all back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show and ensure you never miss an episode, at the site you will find the RSS feed as well as the iTunes link. You can also follow the show on both Facebook and Twitter. Do so and you'll get updates on your wall whenever I have a new episode or other show-related news. 
Please remember both the Superman homepage and the Superman Podcast Network for all of your non-thrilling adventures of Superman needs. Well, I guess they're they're thrilling. They're just not thrilling adventures of Superman, even though they are adventures of Superman that are thrilling. <laughs> anyway, uh, both are excellent sites, and if you're jonesing for a Superman fix, you will definitely get it there. Last but not least, please head on over to GreenLanternsLight.com and listen to my other podcast, Green Lantern's Light, where J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, and I are all about the late bronze and post-crisis adventures of Green Lantern. We actually just had a new episode out late last week, so now's a perfect time to become a listener. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster in his copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye.